This week on Merchants of Change, we've got J.R. Butler. J.R. played hockey at the College of the Holy Cross, Worcester, Mass., before starting his sales career at ICI, which was a partner company to EMC. Today, JR is the CEO, co-founder of The Shift Group. Here he is, JR Butler. I'm JR Butler, co-founder and CEO of The Shift Group, and you're listening to Merchants of Change. This is a podcast about transferring the skills and behaviors we acquire as athletes and military veterans into becoming a professional salesperson. Each week, we'll introduce you to a top performer who will help us understand how they became professional merchants of change. What's up, kid? Today on the show, we've got the one and only J.R. Butler. J.R., thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me, Tom, and thanks for stealing my 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 go to line, dude. You sound it sounds great. Um, so for for those listening, we've got a little bit of a flip in the seats. And for people that don't know me, I'm Tom, and I help Jr. work on the show, and Austin and the whole crew at Shift Group. So I thought it would be good to interrupt the Merchants of Change feed today with a bit of kind of like informal state of the union on shift group for people that have been following along there's got to be a big population of people that are dying to hear how things are going i know i am personally and then i thought it would be fun to ask you some of the questions that we ask our guests to kind of get the live kind of updated shift group position on some of these questions that sound all right it's perfect, man. I'm I'm excited to share an update for folks. I don't think anybody's really heard from me directly since our first episode four seasons ago. So this is this is good timing. I'm 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 really pumped to get into it. Good. So um Shift Group is a little over a year old. What's the anniversary date? Uh February fifteenth was like when I launched the website, the company name kind of went public with the business. So we just celebrated 18 months a week a week ago. And I know you've been- 16 months. No, 18 months. Sorry. I'm not a math guy, as everybody knows. <laughs> <laughs> and I know you've been uh, working on decks and like thinking about how a deck is usually laid out. And I'd love to hear like your take on, on the results. Being a little over a year in here, this idea is not a new idea for you. This is something that you had been doing- for free for years and years and years trying to help people transition into sales careers because of how strongly you believe in this path. But like, tell us a little bit about what's happened. I, I think, you know, the, the success we've had is beyond what I expected in terms of the number of athletes and the number of veterans that we've, and companies, right? And ultimately, those are our three audiences and the number the sheer quantity of those that we've that we've engaged with and that we've helped is way more than I ever expected when I launched the business eighteen months ago. So that's a positive. Um, and and you know what's really cool, Tom, is like seeing like an idea that I had in my head many many years ago that I that I put on like a, a crappy slide deck on a flight to London for work uh, on a on like you know, a, a European red eye, seeing all the stuff I wrote down, like actually come to fruition is really, really cool. Um, 
and I'm really proud of everything we've accomplished. The but that being said, like I think there are <laughs> there are a lot of scars um, and a lot of lessons learned over the last 18 months that I that I didn't see coming because if I did, then I wouldn't made have made some of the mistakes or decisions that I've made. But but like overall, overarching, like very positive. Just the the amount of impact has been incredible. Um, and I think one thing that is really unique about us is that, you know, we fail fast. Like we know when we do something wrong and we fix it quickly. Uh, I just wish we didn't do stuff wrong so much, but you know, that's the nature of like building a bootstrap company and where we are is, is that we're going to mess up a lot. And fortunately we're doing it when it's my money. So right now it's okay, but hopefully that's about to change here in the next couple months. And, and we need to, we need to be a little bit more care careful about the decisions we make, but I'm very proud of what we've accomplished in our first 18 months. And it's your first official time wearing the CEO hat. What do you think are maybe a couple surprises or blind spots you had that you know are no longer blind spots to you about wearing that hat? Um, I, I, I don't know that there's still not blind spots, um, but I do know there are things that you have to do as a CEO um, that I, I think I understood, but I didn't realize exactly how important they were, right? Like coming from the sales leadership silo, you know, there's a saying, right? Revenue solves everything, right? Mm. Um, revenue solves all problems. And fortunately, because we've done a good job of revenue, I've masked a lot of my weaknesses and blind spots. I think like the biggest lesson that I've learned is dude, operations are critical, like workflow optimization and process optimization um, are really, really important when you get really, when you get bigger, right? Bigger than one or two people. Um, and I think like, I think I knew that. I, I didn't think we would need it as quickly as we did, but the reality is, is like, when you are good at driving revenue and driving activity and you're not good at, um, at process optimization and operations, you end up wasting a lot of time on things that you really shouldn't be and, and just working a lot longer hours and a lot harder than you, than you really need to. Mm. Um, for me, that's the biggest lesson. Like if I could go back, I probably, I probably would have started this company with a partner in operations versus mm. like what I'm doing now, which is like trying to go out and find that person um, when we're pretty far along down the path. Um, so that's a big one. I think secondarily is like, you know, hiring the right people is critical. And I think that that's something that we have done a really good job of for the most part. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think like, lastly, your, your brand matters, like the way that people view you and the way that they read your story, regardless of what your story actually is, but the way that people view who you are you know, perception is reality. Um, and fortunately for us, that's been a really good thing. Like, I think we've done a really good job between the combination of this awesome pod podcast that you partnered with us on, as well as our social media um, and like just the content that we put out. I don't think there's any confusion from people that come across us th that what they get with us. Mm -hmm. And that's made all the difference in the world. We don't waste our time with, with athletes and veterans that aren't a fit and we don't waste our time with companies that aren't a fit. So I, I, I think 
I didn't know that I was good at that, but I think what I found is that I am pretty good at like um, portraying and translating our message to the world. I think that's been a positive for us. Yeah, just as an, an innocent bystander watching you guys, some like shifts or pivots or additions that you've made. I'm curious to hear about like how the veteran section came to be and even on like the hiring partner side, like where you guys have been and where you're headed there too. Yeah. Um, it's funny, like on the, so on the veg, I'll hit the veteran side first. Um, I talked about that deck I built in 2017 on that flight. There was a page in that deck that had three columns and the first was athletes. The second was veterans. And the third, funny enough, was PhDs. I don't know if we're going to head down that direction, but there is a there is a crazy stat that only 17% of PhDs work in the space that they get their PhD in. Hmm. And to get and to get your PhD, very similar to like serving in the military and playing elite athletics, you make a lot of sacrifices and prove that you have high character through that experience. Um, so the veteran thing was always a vision, but I I never really put thought, even after starting the company, like I knew we were going to go in that direction. We helped a couple veterans organically, but the question was always like, how are we going to do this? Like I, I, we do a good job with athletes because, because of my own story is real and authentic and my experience is real and authentic. And to be honest, my activity on LinkedIn led me to Sean, who we've had on the show before. Mm -hmm. And I just met a, I, you know, Meeting someone like him um, who sees the world the same way I do, but through a much different lens of experience. This is like one of the most impressive dudes I've ever met in my life in terms of his his military record and his and his experience in the military. Like he tells me stories now and I've known him now for almost a year and he tells me stuff now where he's like mentions something that I read in the news in like 2015 and he's like, yeah, he's like, I was the guy who did this. And I was like, what? Like, are you kidding me? Right? Like, so I think because of Sean, the veteran thing has really taken off. He, he, he has just like me, a very authentic voice, uh, pu like public, like he's not a different person behind closed doors than he is publicly on social media. And because of that, Again, like the right veterans are finding us and the right companies that want to hire for the right reasons are finding us. So I'm like really, really excited. It's it's growing way faster than our athlete practices. Like if you mm. look at the data every month, we're seeing a higher percentage of veterans every single month. Um, you know, and, and, and I don't know that it will ever be 50-50, but the closer we can get to that, the better the reality is, is the opportunity is bigger with veterans. There's more veterans that enter the job market every year right now than athletes. So that's a that's a huge opportunity for us to continue to expand there. Um, the hiring partner question is is a is an interesting one because when I started the company, it was you know beginning of 2022. Um, the job market was ridiculously hot. You, you, like all you needed was like a, a resume and a and a breath and you could get a higher paying job at a company. It was the kind of the tail end of the great resignation. Companies were fighting for 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 talent. The interest rate was near zero. So money was free. Investments were crazy. P companies were pumping cash into companies that really didn't deserve it. Um, 
And at that point, we made a lot of our bones early on in the company in the first like five or six months. And in the model that I thought was going to be our sweet spot, which was like large publicly traded companies that consistently hire throughout the year, every year, and it's planned and they know, right? Like mm -hmm. me and you started our careers at companies like that, where it's like, mm -hmm. we know that our class in June is going to be this big, our class in October is going to be this big, and our class in January is going to be this big. And I thought that was going to be our bread and butter, um, especially in those off those off months, the Octobers and yeah. the and the Januaries. Um, and we did over 50% of our revenue the first six months of the business in those those types of companies. Then, you know, you got summer 2022 hits and interest rates go up and the tech market, you know, excuse my friend, shits the bed. Mm -hmm. You got massive amounts of layoff, layoffs in the hundreds of thousands. Um, so you've got all these like experienced salespeople entering the job market competing against our people who don't have experience necessarily. Um, and we had to pivot like really quickly and it going back to that uh, like process thing, right? This could have been something that we saw if I was better at data and like looking at the telltale signs, but we figured it out. And I don't think we've, I don't think we've done a dollar in a publicly traded company since August of last year in 12 months. And what we did was we said, all right, where, where is the money going? And you, you, it's pretty simple to figure out like money's smarter now. So investors are still investing. Like anybody who tells you otherwise is not looking at the data. Um, and those companies are where they need entry level talent. And the market is telling, you know, seasoned salespeople like, oh, those are too risky. Look what just happened in 2022 which I'm like, good, keep listening to that. Like maybe, maybe you're, you're not that smart if you haven't read that Google, like Meta and Amazon also laid off hundreds of thousands yeah. of people. But if that's what, if you don't want to go work for a small early stage company, that's fine. There's more for us. So we pivoted, focused on venture capital firms and we hammered that market. And now, you know, almost all of our customers now either come through organically through my LinkedIn presence or our LinkedIn presence, I should say, um, uh, referrals from happy customers like, hey, my buddy's a VP of sales at this company. Can you, can you hear? Here's an introduction mm -hmm. or our venture capital partnerships like we work with portfolio operations. Um, they know exactly who in their portfolio needs to hire BDRs and they put us in contact with those people and we get a ton of business that way. So that's like definitely something. You know, I wish I was smart enough in 2017 to be like, oh, this is where we're going to focus. But that's something that's new for us. And it's been awesome. Nice. Um, to kind of wrap up this section, one question would be like, I didn't let you prep for this too. So feel free to take a second. But are there any like really proud candidate placement stories that you can think of? Maybe highlight one for us? Yeah. Um, there's a kid. Uh, he played football in an ACC school. I won't name him by name. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, similar background in terms of like, he didn't grow up with a lot. Um, he, he's, you know, but for all intents and purposes from the hood, right. Surrounded by, uh, you know, essentially people that are bad influences, um, went to a great school because he was really good at football. Mm -hmm. Um, but 
we talk about this all the time, right? This, the schools, the schools, some of the schools aren't, they're, they're doing their best when it comes to helping these kids transition into great careers, but it's very easy for somebody to get lost in the shuffle, right? Because you graduate and you go right back to where you're from typically, right? Unless you have a, a, a very clear delineation on what that career progression is. And unless you, Unless you went into college and you knew like you wanted to work in Wall Street, you wanted to go to med school, you wanted to go to law school. Most kids are like me where they're like, I have no idea what I want to do. I have no idea what's out there. And you go back into your old neighborhood surrounded by your old friends that are doing the same shit they were doing when you left your your freshman year to go play college sports. Um, and, and we got him a job at an awesome company. He's been promoted multiple times. Um, and he just said, he's like, he's like, you know, I appreciate that you guys made money off getting me a job, but I just want you to know, like you literally, you didn't just change my life. You changed the trajectory of my like bloodline. Like my family now is going to be different than it would be had I not met you. So like that type of like generational impact to me, and it's happened, I'm, I'm naming one story that's happened dozens and dozens and dozens of times that to me is the coolest thing that we do is like changing the trajectory of not just one kid's life but his kids right and like other people in his family's lives like that's that's the most rewarding thing that i've ever heard and you know that's why we started the company is for emails and text messages like that yeah i love to hear that i love seeing those online and um I was the question I was going to ask, which you kind of just hit right there, is just kind of like um, it's got to feel pretty good to have a bona fide mission, right? Like we've worked for companies where you kind of have to talk yourself into being fired up about selling a piece of technology that may or may not change anybody's life, but this is different, right? Yeah, it's it's very different, and you're right. Like you know, I grew up. <laughs> I grew up in IT infrastructure, dude. And and anybody who worked with me will tell you how passionate I was about it. That was a complete like mind trick for myself, right? Yeah, like I, acting, right? Yeah, not not I think acting, but I also think like getting into character sincerely, meaning like yeah. okay, like this software does like it helps with like CPU ready wait times and like processing <laughs> application performance like but then convincing myself like, oh, if we do that well, this company's gonna do well, they're gonna hire more people. That's gonna so like you can That's get all there. Real, sure. Yeah, totally real, totally real. And you can get there. But like our mission statement is like like you said, it's authentically like we are trying to help people find careers um and change the performance and, and like characteristics of a sales organization. Like that is it's there's no faking that like it is 100% real. It is awesome. And it makes the long hours, you know, the, the sacrifices that I've had to make personally as a bootstrapped founder, you know, just to make payroll sometimes when, when, you know, cash flow is a problem, it makes it a lot easier than if we were selling, you know, software that helped with, you know, memory ballooning. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to do like a little bit of a hard transition and I'm going to try to toe the line between some of our normal questions and how I think they relate to the work that you guys are doing. So a question that we like to ask guests in the more recent episodes is like, if a senior 
at the college that you went to or a member of the same military branch called you and said, I'm thinking about getting into sales. What questions would you ask somebody to see if you think sales might be a good fit for them? And I think this aligns well with deciding whether or not someone's qualified for training at shift group, right? Like there's a there's a process that somebody goes through and, and kind of answers you're listening for to figure out if this is going to be a good partnership. So take us through that a little bit. The first thing I would I would ask them is like when it when it comes to your career, what like how how do these things rank? Um, making money, growth, um, and like the the opportunity, the, like the time versus the opportunity. Like, okay, everybody wants to make a lot of money, right? That's why yeah. people go to law school. That's why people go to med school. All these things, but. Do you want to make that much money? And how quickly do you want to make that much money? Right. And how much are you willing to sacrifice from like a, from like a personal life perspective to do it? Um, I think the, the challenge with sales specifically is that everybody, I think now knows that you can make a lot of money doing it. But unfortunately, the brand sales got branded at one point, tech sales specifically, I wouldn't say this is for every sales, uh, tech sales got branded as easy money. Um, yeah. and, and it was like for a very little, like a little, probably 2014, 2015 to like 2021, it was an easy way to make six figures. Um, but that that's over now, right? Like you, you, if you're not willing to come in, work like 50, 60 hours a week for at least like two to four years, um and do stuff that like you really freaking hate like cold calling mm -hmm. and account research and like trying to take that research and write thoughtful emails like all these little things that are critical but suck um you have to have like a really bigger why financially i i believe um and and it, and it not just like financially in the short term but like financially in the long term like you want to you have to have a vision where like you provide that 1% of 1% type of lifestyle to yourself and to your family. And that's the first thing I would ask them. Like if, if you're okay making, you know, 80 to 150 K for the rest of your life. Um, but, but you want to be done at 4:35 PM every day. Um, and you want like work-life balance then I, why even do sales like this is it's a terrible like, way to make a mediocre income. It's terrible. Yeah. It's a terrible way to make a mediocre income. Mm -hmm. But if you really want that like big picture stuff and you are willing to make the sacrifice, there is no better career whatsoever. Yeah. So like, I, you know, and we force these kids to like really look in the mirror and think about that at the beginning, because just our training alone is going to suck if you don't have that bigger why. Yeah. So I think that's the most important question is like really trying to decide where, where do you fall on that, like, on that like line of like financial stability and the, the willingness to sacrifice, you know, your personal life for a little while to get there. I think that's really what you need to think about. And, and, you know, anybody who tells you it's easy is, is lying to you. That's just the truth. Like it's not easy to make, Three hundred to five hundred thousand dollars consistently for the rest of your life. Nobody's entitled to that. Nobody's going to give it to you. You have to go out and work it, work for it. Yeah, I think that's dead on. I think where I want to go next is um, 
two parts. So we always ask people, how would you coach these people on selecting a place to start a career? So I want to spend a second there. And I also want to talk about um, coming out of COVID, like your thoughts on hybrid remote in office as it stands today, especially for newer people, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're getting my, my heartbeat going. I love <laughs> it. Um, so in terms of selection, right, of that first company, um, I believe sincerely that the most important characteristic of that first company is who you're going to work for and who you're going to be around every day. We have kids all the time that come to us and they've got a big company offer and a small company offer and a remote offer and an in-office offer. And this one's 50K base and this one's 55. And, you know, all that stuff is important kind of, but not really in your first job. Um, the person that you're going to be working for and the people you're going to be spending that first 12 months around, they are going to shape foundationally who you are in business for the rest of your career. If you find a really good boss at Oracle, who's like a stud, who you admire, who you feel like you're going to learn from a lot, um, and they and you feel like they've been there, done that, and they're going to teach you their ways, go work for them. If that person is at a four-person startup that's like not well-funded, go work for that person. If the tech is cybersecurity on one and HR software on the other, don't choose because of this product, especially as a BDR. Choose the people that you're going to go work for. I, I, I sincerely believe that is the number one most character, most important characteristic to look for. And the second, I believe, is growth opportunity. Um, like, especially if if you answered the first question you asked me earlier about like where you fall on that paradigm, and you do fall on the on the paradigm where it's like I'm willing to work really hard so that I can make a lot of money. You do not want to go. It, you don't want to take that mindset to a to a really big company where it's going to take you two years to get to the next role, no matter what you do, right? So, so like you need to think about sincerely think about like is is a three month onboarding worth the trade off that that I'm going to have fifteen months in the same role or not, right? So, I think number one is the people. Number two is like that future growth opportunity in the short term. Those two are, to me, the most important to look at. And then, do you think that it's important for a first job for somebody to go to an office every day? Yes. Or bulk of the time? Yes. 100%. Why? 100%. Because, man, there's like, there's things that you learn when you're not supposed to be learning, right? Um, you're going to have one-on-ones. And, and, and I think, you know, at this point, 2023, you know, three, th whatever it is, two or three years out from the pandemic, companies have gotten better and more intentional about remote uh, leadership and remote training and development and engagement. But there's just certain things that like can't happen unless you're like walking in the hallway, sitting at your desk, getting in the elevator, going and, and having drinks after work. Like, and it's, it's not like it's little things, dude. It's like the words that you're using it's what you're wearing, which like seems like a little thing, but like especially nowadays is is actually even more important than ever. Like it's it's you don't get the same osmosis uh, that you get when you're sitting in a fishbowl with a bunch of other people that are at the same level you are, and then leaders that care about th those people's development. That it just happens organically, and you know the work the the work from home warriors 
We'll talk about the commute. They'll talk about, um, they'll talk about, you know, childcare and all this other stuff, which I, dude, I get like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a father. I got a car. I've sat in traffic. I'm from Boston. Like, trust me, I get it. But the other thing is there's something to be said about these sacrifices you make, especially early in your career, right? It's just like working out. You don't get better in the gym if you don't leave the gym sore. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So like, yeah, it sucks to drive to the office and it sucks to get a babysitter for your puppy. But like, those are the sacrifices you need to make to build the muscle so that you can, you can be the person that makes the decision someday. Right. So I think there's, and it, you know, not to be like the old guy yelling at clouds, there is a, a sense of entitlement now where people want to skip the hard stuff and get to the good stuff a lot quicker. But that's not, it's like, as much as we want to say it's rainbows and butterflies, it's not, it's never going to be the case in any world, no matter who's in office or who's making policy decisions, it doesn't matter. You still have to work hard to earn a really good living and you still have to make sacrifices. Like there's always going to be trade-offs in life. And if, and if anybody tells you different, they're, they're lying or, or, you know, they're, they're probably going to ask you for money right after they lie to you. Yeah. It, there's also just like so much, um, in that transition period, getting to go to an office of like learning how to be an adult too. Like, That's what I mean. Yeah. Like commuting and going for work drinks and like learning how to operate in those scenarios that you can't get on zoom. And then there's this also like, regardless of how you want to spin it, like we are social people. And I think like loneliness and feelings of disconnection are at an all time high. And I think you can get a lot of that stuff from work. You know, you can get deep meaning and connection and feeling like you're a part of a team and that you're contributing like a work makes up a lot of that stuff. So I just wanted to, I'm on your side. I think that, um, for all the reasons you said, like, yeah, the commute sucks and everybody that is like staunchly in favor of working from home, there's usually like something there. Like they don't want to commute. They don't want, it's usually like a selfish thing, but that you can all usually get them all to open up and, and admit that being a part of a team in a community, especially early in the career is just critical. I, I don't know when it became such a negative thing to, to, to like, like love your job and like find an identity in your career and like find passion about like, you know, this capitalistic thing of making money. Um, I, when I, how I grew up, that was like, that was what it was all about, right? Like, and that's okay. And and I I think if people actually took a step back and realized, like, whether you believe in it or not, you're going to spend one third of your life at work. So if you aren't getting purpose and you aren't finding passion in there, that's the problem. Yeah. Not the problem isn't that that you find a huge identity in work. That's that's an okay thing. It's one third of your life. And you're right. Like all the data tells you. When people are dying on their deathbed, nobody says, I wish I worked more. Of course, nobody says that, right? But I guarantee, and I've lost close friends over the last few years, and I know that every one of them is happy about the amount of time and dedication that they put into their profession. Mm -hmm. I know that for 100% fact. And those are guys that, that died way younger than they should have, and they still wouldn't change anything. So it's just something to think about, man. It, it, it's kind of scary. Yeah. Um 
All right. So shifting gears again a little bit here and trying to give some answers to the test from the guy at the top of the totem pole here. But we ask people about skill development, right? Like, what are you teaching the people who are going to be like the next great salespeople? Like, what skills in 2023 are critical to learn? Number one, and it's the first course we teach. Once they know like how the sales process works and how the team is structured, the first thing we teach is account research. Um, Which nobody cares. Nobody cares about your product. Nobody cares about your features. Nobody cares about the functionality. Nobody cares about the Gartner matrix that you're on, um, or you know that you can do X and they can only do Y. They care about everybody cares about themselves individually and organizationally. Mm-hmm. So you need to be able to put yourself into the prospect's shoes and understand what their world is, what problems they're dealing with, what are the strategic imperatives that their executives are talking about in the boardroom, and how are those strategic imperatives cascading down to the VP, director, and manager level, right? So account research to me is the difference between a mediocre salesperson and somebody who's excellent. Because somebody who's excellent, somebody who's mediocre knows their product cold, Mm -hmm. but doesn't do a good job of putting themselves in their customer's shoes. An excellent salesperson knows their product cold, but also knows their customer cold, knows their business, knows the personalities, knows the personas, and knows when that person wakes up on Monday to start their week, what are they thinking about? And that's really, I think, the number one skill, especially when you're in a tough market like this and money isn't free and you're you're trying to get people's attention. If you don't know about them, you haven't earned the right to get their attention. So you've got to learn about them before anything else. Um, that's why account research is so critical in my opinion. Circling back, uh, I, I wrote this down and I wanted to make sure that I asked it. So if starting your career, the person that you work for is the most important thing. Like, How do we identify those great people? Like, What am I looking for when I go on a bunch of interviews or listening for? Yeah. I, well, some of it is a feeling, right? Like, like, I think like the number one indicator that it's the right person is it's like you admire that person. Like you're like, oh, this, this guy, this girl's a stud. Like I would love to be like them when I'm at that stage in my career. Right. And that's kind of a feeling like it's hard to yeah. ask questions. Like you're kind of just getting to know someone and like and like just paying attention to how they make you feel and whether or not they inspire you. Um, but I, I also think like if we're getting like tactical asking them questions about um, examples, like real life examples where they where they've taken people in like you and, and really, you know, foundationally changed their career path and the outcomes that they can drive as in their profession. Uh, those types of questions I think are critical. Like you need, you need to know that this is a person who's taken someone like you under, underneath their wing before and shaped them into a, an, into a true pro um, over time. That's great. Um, towards the end of our episodes, we start asking people about mentors and I know about your sales mentors. Has that group of people changed at all since you've started running your own shop? Do you now have your, you know, does, is your internal board, your personal board, cabinet, whatever you want to call it, like are there CEOs, entrepreneurs on there that you look up to? Yeah, there's definitely like, and, and it's funny, like some of them are from my past as sales leaders 
who have gone on and, and, you know, had successful exits and now are sitting more on the investor side and looking at businesses like ours, right? Mm -hmm. um, those are the types of people that I've gravitated towards since starting the company because I want to I wanna go and build like a juggernaut of, you know, I, I want to build a company that can impact as many athletes and veterans and sales organizations at pos as possible. That's my mission. That means I need to have a big company in order to do that. Mm -hmm. So understanding what it takes to build a great company, people that understand that inherently, not like what's it take to be a great salesperson, but what's it take to build a great company. Those are the types of people that, that I've pulled a lot closer into my, into my cabinet, if you would, mm -hmm. um, than I ever had before. Are you ready for the final two closing questions? Always, buddy. If we were to ask you to highlight one of your skills that makes you elite, what would you say that it is? Genuine curiosity. Um, I, I, I've never just accepted things for like what they are. I've always had to understand why, like why, why do we do it this way? Um, why do you do it that way? What, what, what does that mean? Like, you know, these like really basic questions that I'm not asking to be a, to, to be like a sleuthy discoverer in sales. Like I'm genuinely curious as to why this is the way it is. Um, and I think it, it, it works in my favor a lot because like, it's like, uh, I think the detective was Matlock where you'd ask like really stupid questions and he had a plan. I don't really necessarily have a plan, but like, because I'm not like that smart, in a lot of different things. Like I have to dig deeper. I have to ask the third and fourth and fifth level. Why? So that j just so I can understand it. Like, I don't, you know, it's like with diets, it's, it's like with fitness, like I'm not just gonna like ketogenic is a great example. Before I ever did the keto diet, I read like four or five books. I listened to like 50 podcasts and when it made like scientific sense to me, which took a long time because I'm not that smart, then I tried it and it worked. Right. Um, and now it's easy for me to make that decision and turn down the English muffin in the morning because I know like what that would do to my body. Um, so I think that intellectually, like, and, and it's authentic. Like I said, it's like, I really need to learn this stuff. I really need to understand it. I think that's always what served me well, not just as a sales individual, but as a sales leader and now as a company leader, like those. That is a characteristic of mine that I, I hope to continue to have forever. Yeah, I feel personally triggered about English muffin there. Seems like you picked something awfully specific. Um, <laughs> I lied. Two more questions. We're going to finish with the one that you know we're going to finish with. But we usually start our episodes asking about sports. And like I don't know that I've ever gotten to hear you say this, but the really broad question that we open with when we, you think about your favorite moments of playing sports, like where does your mind drift off to? Um, I would say, I mean, the locker room, without a doubt, right? I, I, I say it in my LinkedIn. I'm a locker room guy. Mm. That's to me. That's what it's all about. It's it's all about the friendships, the connections, the sacrifices that you make for the for the guy or girl sitting next to you. Um, when you say best memories, uh, there's there's like 50 images in my head of the locker rooms that I've sat in in my career. And like the times when, you know, after a hard practice, after a tough loss or a big win, like the the emotions that you feel as a group 
those those that's what sports is all about for me um and those are the best memories i have hands down uh it's 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 the times with your your best friends um in the locker room like that's you, you can never get that back no matter how hard you try yeah i'm with you um and the final question my buddy jr's dad longtime hockey coach used to say to his boys growing up that a lot of people play hockey but there are not a lot of hockey players. What he was trying to do is instill this sense of professionalism about the way that you go about your business, which translates to sales. We think that the highest praise you can give a salesperson is to say, that guy's a pro, that girl's a pro. So if we were to ask you, what does it mean to be a pro salesperson? What would you say to that? So I do this hashtag all the time, all gas, no brakes. Um, and people that know me are kind of like, there's a lot of assumptions of what that means. Cause I go hard in everything that I do. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of what I mean, but there's also like a secondary meaning, which is, um, it's two parts. Like all gas is like, it's all give a shit, right? Like that to me is what a pro is. They, they really sincerely, authentically give a shit about everything, Right. The, the way your email looks, how a, a, a customer uh, portrays you when you get on a Zoom, um, your preparation for the meeting, your follow-up for the meeting, the way the quote looks when you send it over, the handoff between when you close the deal to customer success, the continuous communication after they become a customer to make sure that they're successful, caring that they're successful during the sales process, making sure that this is the right fit for them. like really, really caring. Um, and then, you know, when I say no breaks, that's like, you have to have sincere belief when you do this, when you do give a shit and you do feel like your solution is the right solution for a company, that means that you're going to do whatever it takes to make sure that they, they get that solution. Um, and you know, as someone who sold like high ticket, unbudgeted, disruptive software, uh, that, you know, and now I'm, I'm selling recruiting, a recruiting platform. There are people within an organization that are going to block you no matter what because of their own personal, whether it's political aspirations or, you know, personal beliefs. But if, if, if I'm a pro and I did my account research and I understand their business, the problems they're dealing with, the strategic imperatives they have, and I know that my solution can help them solve those problems and reach those strategic imperatives. And I, and I give a shit enough to do that research, to know the customer, to know their, all this stuff about them. Then that means that I'm not going to have any breaks in terms of trying to get it done. Um, so like my hashtag, all gas, no, all gas, no breaks. That is like my hashtag of like what a pro is. Um, they give a shit and they'll do whatever it takes when they know they're right. Um, and that's how I operate. And I think that's what's led to my success I've had in my career. Just to, to ping Austin here, have we had an episode, all gas, no brakes? No, but I think we got it. I think that's the one, right? <laughs> Thanks for doing this, buddy. This was really fun. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Tom. This wraps up this episode of Merchants of Change. If you enjoyed this episode, the most meaningful way to say thanks is to submit a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're interested in working with us, please come find us at www.shiftgroup.io.